WRFI Community Radio News is made possible by listeners like you. Help us tell important stories about your community. Head to wrfi.org slash donate. This is Which Way Forward? Redefining Public Safety. A radio project from WRFI News, the Ithaca Voice, and the Ithaca College Park Scholars. Around the nation, protesters have called for police departments to be defunded or reformed following the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and countless other black and brown people at the hands of law enforcement. But here in Tompkins County, what's the best solution to reimagining public safety policies that will both foster fairness and trust within each community regarding law enforcement? WRFI Community Radio, the Ithaca Voice and the Ithaca College Park Scholars join together to try and answer this question in our new radio project, Which Way Forward? Redefining Public Safety. In today's piece, Ithaca Voice reporter Anna Lamb re-examines the most recent case of police brutality in Ithaca, commonly known as the Commons Incident, and how Ithaca police officers' excessive use of force could have been prevented. As a note to listeners, this episode includes detailed descriptions of physical violence. In the early hours of April 6th, 2019, downtown Ithaca was alive with activity as bars had just let out and the usual nighttime crowd buzzed with alcohol-fueled energy. During this time, an incident erupted that ended with a young black woman and her two friends, one young black male and the other, a young white female, getting arrested and the two black Ithacans being charged with assault after a confrontation with a civilian and police. So on April 6, 2019, IPD officers responded to an incident on Ithaca Commons in which they witnessed a man violently strike another man in the face, subsequently knocking that person to the ground. That's Ithaca Police Department's Chief Dennis Nayer recalling the events at a press conference in fall of 2019. During an on-scene eyewitness officer's attempt to take the assailant into custody, he pulled away, resisting apprehension, at which time a second officer deployed a taser to subdue him. During the ensuing arrest process, 
one of the arresting officers was intentionally struck multiple times in the head by a female who was also on scene. I specifically remember like trying to like pull somebody off. Rose DeGroat, the female described. And then it was just like a whole mess. And then I'm on the ground, I guess. And then this is like, th there's like a few like things that I remember very specifically. I remember being on the ground. I remember somebody like on my neck, like the knee to the head or something. And I remember people screaming like all around me. And I remember Kaji was like behind me. And I said, I can't breathe. And I don't think I said it very loudly because I couldn't really breathe. Um, but I was screaming, so who knows. But I remember like feeling like very like, I don't know, I felt like I was getting crushed. I'm just like crying and like kind of in disbelief and like still kind of really out of it. DeGroat mentions in her retelling of the incident nearly two years later that her friend stood across the street watching her be arrested. And they get me to the cop car. She's just yelling at them to like let me go or something. And they start, like one of the cops just like pushed her, like for no reason. She wasn't touching anybody. Yeah, and then I reacted to that. So I accidentally kicked a cop because I was like, no, don't touch her. Um, while they were trying to put me in the car. DeGroat, who grew up in Ithaca, was taken to the Ithaca Police Department headquarters and held in a jail cell overnight. So they kept me there, and there were cops coming in and out. You know, there was one guy that came in. He was somebody that I I worked with, or like I did a, a project with in high school. And I could hear them talking about it all, and I heard one of them say, wow, this really looks bad. Um, and one of the cops said that to me, too, like when he was doing my fingerprinting. They took all these pictures of my wounds and stuff, and they like took a picture of where I thought I got tased or I don't remember what I thought it was I thought it was a scrape and I thought my ribs were broken or something from getting smushed into the ground but because they hurt so bad I was trying to like lay down on this bench with the like handcuff to it and it was so painful and I was supposed to work a double that day <laughs> so I was like am I gonna get out of court in time <laughs> to go to work um and I was in court and the guy, the judge, I don't know, he was just telling me, he was like, yeah, you were really drunk, I guess. That's what they were telling me. And he was asking me all these questions, like, do you want to go to college <laughs> and stuff, like trying to see if I was worthy of like letting go. Um, but they did let me go, and then I did go to work, which I, I had to leave, but my boss drove me home because I was freaking out. A lengthy legal battle ensued after the arrest of DeGroat and her black male friend, Kaji Malone, who was also arrested. Malone did not respond to WRFI for comment on this incident. Initially, the charges after an incident are drafted by the police, and the original charges against the young woman were felony charges, attempted assault in the second degree as well as two misdemeanors. That's District Attorney Matt Van Houten speaking at the same press conference. He was describing charges brought against DeGroat, which started as felony charges and were reduced to misdemeanors over a period of months before finally being dropped. Ultimately, after much more debate and legal research, I decided that the felony charges should be dismissed in the interest of fairness to this young woman. There are many people who believe that punching a police officer while he's in the course of his duties is utterly unforgivable and should be punished severely. 
And make no mistake, one of these young people did just that. If you, in your own personal judgment, determine that the officer is doing something you believe to be wrong, interfering with a police investigation, punching a police officer, and fighting in public are illegal. The public should be aware that this case is not going to deter the police from doing their job in a professional and respectful manner in the future. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Before there were protests on behalf of George Floyd, there were activists calling for justice and police reform on behalf of Rose and Kaji. The two young black Ithacans became examples of what the public has perceived as unjust treatment at the hands of IPD officers and the local criminal justice system, and hundreds have joined in protests demanding justice. You know, I, I understand that there are a lot of tensions. Ithaca Police Chief Dennis Nair. I learned that right away, racial tensions, and I also understand that there's perceptions and perceptions are reality. You know, from that, we determined there were some training things we could do better some different ways we can um, handle situations. We always stay tuned to things that involve use of force and perceptions and, and things that are areas of tension within the community. And as a chief, we always want to be able to have public support and approval. And that's always going to be something I'm looking for. And whether it's you know, us talking and discussing things, whether it's us me being fully invested in the reform movement, or whether it's just always looking at ideas that can bring about harm reduction. That's my focus. Um, I think I, I speak for a lot of chiefs that that's what we're looking for. It seems that for the Ithaca Police Department, reform demands are just now coming into focus as the state legislature demands concrete action. The Rose and Kaji incident has presented the department with more questions than answers in terms of how to best approach preventing violence. You know, you can look at that case minute by minute and point out things that should have been done differently. Tompkins County District Attorney Matt Van Houten. Starting with what the police did. Absolutely. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that the truth about every individual's responsibility and role in that case is a thing of the past. It's become a story that's, that's more of a legend or a myth or propaganda. Van Houten has faced much of the backlash in the wake of the incident. The DA has continued to stand firm in the fact that DeGroote and Malone both share responsibility for being violent during the incident. As DeGroote points out in her own retelling of the story, there was resistance to arrest, though she and many community members feel that the level of violence did not warrant the use of force as seen by IPD officers. They shouldn't have tased me. They shouldn't have lied about tasing me, which is, re that's really annoying to me that they deny that because I have a scar from it. There's so many things, <laughs> there's so many things and it's so frustrating, it felt so personal at a certain point. I don't know, some of the, like, it just felt so strange, like they all felt so angry, <laughs> which I don't really understand what they had to be angry about, honestly. Now, as part of the reinvigorated call to engage in police reform, DA Van Houten is serving on a subcommittee with the Reimagining Public Safety Collaborative and says that he supports strong reform to the status quo. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, police reform is really important, and I think we can reform. Reform means change and improve, and there's always room for improvement in every organization. But I think, you know, if we are able to 
come up with one of the models that has uh, of the many models that are that are being used across the country for mental health responses that could free up some of the police resources to focus on other uh, more you know, law enforcement based responsibilities like pre preventing violence and being a deterrence in the community and, and responding to calls of, of violent crimes. We need the police, but we need the police to be highly trained, educated, enlightened. We need them to have de-escalation on their minds uh, you know, every time they respond to a call. We need them to, to use the least aggressive tactics possible in order to resolve calls that they go to. Van Houten has been involved in reform and works closely with police. However, he is clear that his job is not to crack down on police misconduct or to involve his office in criminal investigations, despite public perception otherwise. The DA's office does not investigate crimes. We receive cases that are submitted to us that, are, that have been investigated by one of the law enforcement agencies. The, the law enforcement agencies respond to calls, they investigate crimes, they decide what charges to file, they make arrests, and then they send the paperwork and their, and their work product to my office. As has been seen in previous cases of police misconduct, such as the 2016 arrest of Ithaca College student Kyle Goldstein, during which the young man was held down and pepper sprayed by officers, private attorneys must file complaints against officers. Or, as with the most recent incident of bad behavior, during which IPD officer Kevin Slattery was heard on body cam footage bragging about brutalizing a suspect, city officials trigger an internal investigation. It depends on the misconduct. Mayor Savante Myrick. So, you know, in the last, geez, in the last four years, we've terminated a number of officers. Usually the way that works, it, there, there's, there are escalating forms, right? So you make a mistake on the job. That's, you know, that happens. We're all human. But if there's something out of place in your uniform, then you can get a verbal counseling. That is your supervisor saying, hey, shape up. If it happens repeatedly or say you're, you're late to shift or you are, you know, you don't exhibit the respect that your, your colleagues deserve to your colleagues, then you can get a verbal counseling or, or a written counseling. So something that goes in your file, a letter that says, officer so-and-so showed up late you know, three times in a row, this is an official warning, they do it again, um, we're going to escalate further. Now, once you get really past that is where discipline and accountability, when it, whether it's suspensions from service, demotions, terminations, the docking of pay, becomes an active negotiation with police union, in this case, the Ithaca Police Benevolent Association, and those negotiations are adjudicated by uh, New York State process called arbitration. Myra continues explaining the difficulty when it comes to identifying and punishing police misconduct. But what it's done is it's made it really, really hard to do even very normal accountability measures, things that in other lines of work you'd be disciplined for, but really hard to, to discipline officers for. So that's one of the, the many areas where, um, you know, we have to reimagine as we're taking a good hard look at how public safety works here in Ithaca. Elected officials have been at an interesting intersection of public safety, helping to make policy decisions that potentially affect people during their most vulnerable moments. Someone who works in the unique intersection of elected official and public safety officer is Tompkins County Sheriff Derek Osborne. 
Osborne has also been heavily involved in the Reimagining Public Safety Collaborative, giving a public presentation via Zoom back in October 2020. I'm held accountable by the public I serve. I'm here to serve the public, uh, not the other way around. And uh, I think people, especially when it comes to law enforcement, if they don't like the service or what they're seeing from the sheriff's office, they should have the right and ability to elect somebody new to that position. Osborne says that even before the collaborative, his department has been working on progressive law enforcement policies. Yeah, the, the, the two big things for me when I took office were focusing on training and policy development. Policy development is particularly important to me in law enforcement executives because it's the policy that directs behavior. I am able to influence people in our agency in a certain directions by the policies that I put out. That is why we put out policies on duty to intervene, uh, fair and impartial policing, interactions with the transgender population, things of that nature, just uh, immigration enforcement is another one, and our legal parameters and not enforcing such things. Both Chief Dennis Nayer and Sheriff Osborne appear to be open to reform, but have both dealt with separate challenges. Interestingly, while the police deal with a population of around 30,000 residents and the sheriff's department deals with around 100,000, both departments, according to their reports on crime statistics for the Reimagining Public Safety Collaborative, deal with similar rates of violent crime. That means IPD officers deal with the same amount of violent crime as an area more than three times its size. IPD officers also had more than double the amount of incidents where force was shown compared to the sheriff's department. The compounding factors for these statistics are hard to pin down, but could be a result of officer burnout and their responsibility to act in stressful situations while navigating complex mental health or drug abuse problems. Sheriff Osborne has been in attendance at rallies and racial justice protests and said that's where he can see the justification for the slogan, defund the police. Yeah, well, I think when people say defund, I think it's bad terminology. I mean, I get what the meaning of it is, and I think just the wording alone provides a negative connotation. It, it expresses a lack in, in trust of the police and a desire to limit their uh, ability to respond to things. I don't quite think that's really what people mean by that. I think they're more focused on better avenues to respond to certain types of incidences without involving police. For Rose DeGroat, she said she wishes the police hadn't been involved in her case at all. She maintains that the entire incident was sparked because an older man was acting inappropriately towards her friend, a claim that has been disputed during subsequent law enforcement investigations. You know, even at the end of the day, he was huge, and he could probably, you know, kill somebody with his hands if he wanted to, but that's not what was happening either. It was just, it was him. It was just a matter of this guy being very drunk and very creepy and us trying to tell him to leave us alone, you know? Around the commons, there's a lot of space for him to be not around us. So, you know, like, honestly, I think it all would have worked itself out anyways. I don't think it was that big of a conflict. As a lifelong Ithacan, DeGroat has not always been apprehensive about law enforcement. But I do have, like, a lot of positive experience with the police, like, as a young person, I think. Or a lot more. But I also do feel like the police department is different now than it was when I was younger and I know for a fact that there are a lot more people from out of town working on our police. DeGroat says she thinks having officers close to the community could have helped in her situation and how one officer who was kind to her while she was in a holding cell made her experience with police better if only marginally. And I think that makes a huge difference and 
it's something that I think a lot of people have been feeling. There's a lot of police that I recognize. And I think that that's, you know, like, if if one of those police officers had recognized Kaji, they would look at him and be like, clearly he is not a threat. Like, I know who this is. Like, I don't need to tackle him and tase him. DeGroat says that both her and Kaji have faced fallout in terms of employment opportunities and housing because of the association of their names with the highly publicized incident, an unfortunate consequence of interactions with police. But I got an apartment. Kaji did not have the same luck as me. He lost his job and his apartment. So, yeah, it can go. That That's interesting to me. You know, it shows, like, the, the multiple sides of Ithaca. You know, we, we show this one big liberal side, and that's what I got to deal with. And, you know, he got the other side of it. He got the, you know, you're a criminal, you're a danger to old people or whatever <laughs> side of it. And that's absolutely, like, sh- so shocking to me. But protests, rallies, and public discourse continue to move the conversation forward about what happens to folks at the center of police brutality cases. Some go through what Rose and Kaji underwent in the wake of their experience, while others don't make it out of those interactions alive. During my troubles, too, the, the protests like absolutely saved my life. Like having everyone come together with a like mind, like with similar goals, with, you know, like there's a lot of love behind it. There's a lot of like fury too, you know, because we're mad about the way things are going. But like at the end of the day, it's mostly like, you know, it's mostly, you know, the community coming together to try to support one another. And that's like so powerful. Especially when you're, especially when I think a lot of people are feeling, you know, a little disappointed in the community because of, you know, what's going on with the police and how things are being handled. Public attention to Rose and Kaji's case died down after charges were dropped against both young people in 2019. However, as she mentioned, Rose's name has continued to come up in the new iteration of protests against police violence, and her case has gained new attention. The protests continue weekly in downtown Ithaca, headed by the Pantheras Group, and work continues across city and county departments in creating an action plan for the Reimagining Public Safety Collaborative. But the potential remains for progress to stall, and for the animosity between police and the public to grow. Only time will tell whether any real change can be made. Producer Anna Lamb reporting for the Ithaca Voice and WRFI. Jay Bradley edited today's episode, and sound design was by me, Michaela Savitt. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. The series is directed and executive produced by Anna and me, Michaela Savitt. Special thanks to contributors Joanne Hizbicki, Fred Balfour, Pamela Tan, Godfrey Simmons, and Tom Pudney for helping to develop the project, and to WRFI General Manager Felix Teitelbaum and Assistant General Manager Peter Champelli for their support. Which Way Forward Redefining Public Safety is a production of WRFI News, The Ithaca Voice, and The Ithaca College Park Scholars, with funding from Engaged Cornell. One, two, three. W R F I. <laughs> <laughs>